If we want to shift global systems and get humanity back on a positive trajectory, where do we place our focus and how can we make a difference? I'm Daniel Hartz, and this is the Sustainability Champions podcast, where we highlight the people, ideas, and innovations that are protecting and healing the planet. Today, I'm joined by Jules Hayward, Learning Executive Lead at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Jules has been working in the field of sustainability for over 15 years. And in this episode, we will hear her story about how she navigated her sustainability journey and, sh- and what she's learned along the way. We'll be covering the importance that narrative and messaging have in mobilizing people and groups, as well as the steps you can take if you're considering a career in sustainability. So really looking forward to hearing this. Uh, Jules, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to be here. And where are you taking this call from? I am sat uh, on the Isle of Wight at the moment, a seaside town on a small island on the south coast of the UK. Very nice. Uh, yeah, it's a lovely part of the world. Today, I, I'd like to discuss really three primary topics. First of all, your career in sustainability, I think, is going to be really interesting to, to hear. From there, the work that you're currently doing at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. And finally, any advice you have for people who are considering a career in sustainability? There's so many opportunities and options. So where do you start and, and really how do you think about it? But briefly, before we go into there, can you just outline uh, what you currently do in the world of sustainability, please? Sure. Uh, so my role at the moment uh, as executive learning lead at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation is leading a team who are inspiring and enabling uh, business leaders, um, active professionals, um, and uh, young young individuals who are who are learning about the topics um, related to a circular economy. So we we really cover that whole learning continuum from the school age group through into universities and um, people who are actively in work. Uh, we provide them with the necessary um, stories, the necessary analysis, the necessary information. Uh, and communities that they need in order to understand the topic and start to apply it um, to their daily lives and work. Wow, that's really cool. And what's the, um, edu- I know education is a really important piece of having spoken with, um, you know, quite a number of people who work in the field of sustainability. They always say that education is a crucial aspect to the work that we do. So what is, I mean, you're, you're a learning uh, professional uh, or an education professional, what what is the role that education has in our uh, movement towards mm-hmm. sustainability? Well, I would uh, sort of simplify that down into how we think creates the world around us. Mm. So our habits of thought, our ways of thinking shape our our actions, our decisions, and the systems that we create um, as a species. So um, one of the fundamental aspects of what we're doing um, at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation is looking at how we can enable people to think on a systems level. So um, in contrast, if people are thinking in a linear point of view, very sequentially, um, it's often without looking at the context. So if you're studying um, a specific subject, uh, like French, for example, um, but you're, you're not immersed in the, 
the culture, you're not immersed in the food, you're not immersed in, in the people, then it's very difficult for you to, um, I think, really get a grip of that language. Yeah, you're learning in, in, in a so bit of a vacuum. Yeah. So we, we always look at how we can enable people to be um, be able to think in terms of systems. So uh, if we look at this, um, this drinking vessel, for example, um, if I was a product designer, uh, I would be looking at this particular product and I'd be thinking, oh, how can I make this as user-friendly um, for the people who are using it? But um, from a systems element, how can we enable product designers to not just think of, of this in terms of the um, specific product use on a user level, but also think how does this product fit within a broader system and how business models that this product um, sits within of the production of it. And so um, that is a much more complex set of considerations um, and it, it requires people to think very differently um, but it's critical that people like product designers are given the tools and the creative incentives to consider beyond just the individual um, using of, of, uh, of a product like that. And that spans right out into the design of, of cities and how cities are, are, are designed um, and enabled. So, you know, you can zoom right in to... Um, to the product or even to the, you know, the material level, or you need to be able to zoom right out. And I think, you know, humanity um, has known this for, for so long. We can see right throughout um, the stories that have been told in, in human civilization over the years. Um, as an example, the Bhagavad Gita, um, uh, the sort of equivalent of the Bible in, in India, has that element of, of being able to think on the micro scale and think on the macro scale built into the story of Arjuna and Krishna. Arjuna uh, is this warrior and he needs to be able to fight on the battlefield and he needs to be able to um, engage in the day-to-day -day, uh, turmoils of, of that battle. But he is also advised by Krishna to be able to stand on the clifftop and be able to perceive the perspective of what is happening. And I think the, the mental agility to move between the, the sort of emperor view and the warrior view, um, if you can use that, uh, that sort of uh, analogy, is critical. And that is a, a way of thinking. And educators all over the world, when, when they're thinking about systems thinking and how we enable systems thinking, are coming up with practical ways of giving um, individuals and you know young people the ability to maintain that that agility to move from the macro to the micro. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And um, I mean, one thing that you said towards the beginning there is um, you're basically teaching people how to think um, and giving. I suppose it sounds like systems and. Um, maybe not so much strategies, but like, um, yeah, well, I guess it, it is systems. Like here, here are ways to think about certain questions and problems. And I imagine, you know, teaching people which questions to ask because questions are such a powerful tool mm. when it comes to question, uh, to thinking. Uh, it also sounds like in addition to being able to zoom out, um, I think a really important aspect of, um, of this bigger picture thinking is not just, um, being able to see from a very close up or 
far away point of view of what's happening now, you, I would imagine you also need to be able to do the same uh, by looking forward into the future as well. So it's 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 very much both time and uh, and space uh, in that sense. And th- is this the kind of work that you focus on and 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 um, and the team focuses on at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation? Yeah, I mean the the learning team uh, and the organization uh, is a combination of of individuals, um, many of which who have backgrounds in understanding um, learning programs and uh, and education. Um, and so what we are trying to do is take the the science of learning and bring in the understanding of um, you know what you know what is what are the practical challenges that business professionals are, facing when it comes to the application of circular economy so the the concept itself and we can outline that in, in a moment of what mm-hmm. you know what do i mean when i when i'm describing the term circular economy um, so there is the um, there is the understanding of it from a theoretical perspective but critically there is the um, how do we create the the projects the the conversations the scenarios to enable people to translate that theory into practice um, and uh, so that can be through cr- providing content so we have a huge amount of content on the Ella MacArthur Foundation's website that's publicly accessible we have learning programs that people can do that give them the the sort of um, the stories and the analysis for them to to use but then also critically in combination with that there is the communities so whether it's whether you're coming from a design perspective so as a designer um, how can I interact with other people in my sector to um, to really grapple with the the practicalities of this, and I think that community element of it is another critical part of how we create change in the world. Um, we can't just throw throw um, stories and analysis at people. We need to give them um, connections with uh, with relevant colleagues and communities in order for them to learn from each other and the and therefore create more than the sum of their individual parts in terms of change well that makes sense and that goes back to the point of view of the individual versus um or yeah individual and uh society which also correlates very nicely to the point of view of zooming in versus bigger picture so you mentioned the term circular economy and the ellen macarthur foundation is known for the circular economy uh, and and for really pushing forward with that so what exactly is the circular economy Mm. Well, I think the um, the best way to outline it in in a short format context is to say, well, look at our current economic system. Our current economic system, in terms of production and consumption, is take, make, waste. It's linear, um, and therefore, it doesn't have the potential to to function in the long term. And we know this because of finite resources, but we also know this because of the huge um, instability that those resources provide um, organizations with in terms of the fluctuation um, of those uh, vital materials that they're using for production and consumption. So the current model, I think it's pretty indisputable that that isn't fit for purpose in terms of global civilization. So what is the proposal? What's the alternative? 
Um, and, and from a very conceptual level, the alternative is that we create a system that is regenerative, restorative by design so that it has the ability to restore and regenerate itself through the cycling of materials. And um, a circular economy can really be summarized when we look at the three principles around it. So how can we design out waste and pollution? So that is the design challenge. It's why we have a huge emphasis on enabling designers to use this. So designing out waste and materials is critical and and that really draws in on the um the school of thought uh, that underpins the circular economy around cradle to cradle and if people haven't heard that term they should absolutely look into the work of michael brangart and william mcdonough um, and how they have created this clear distinction between biological and technical materials and how those can cycle in their own systems and um, how they can play that regenerative and restorative role distinctly. So there's the um, designing out waste and pollution, drawing from that cradle to cradle um, uh, school of thought. There's keeping productions and um, keeping products and materials in use. So that's extending the product life. Um, or indeed, if a product has a single use short term life cycle, it's designed for that. So obviously, single-use plastics is a very kind of common area at the moment that's been highlighted as an issue, primarily because from a structural point of view um, and from a material point of view, these um, this packaging or these products are not designed for single-use. Um, but then if we do want to extend the, the um, product life, make it more durable so that the embedded energy and materials within that product can be utilized um, again and again. Um, so multiple use cycles. Um, that is a really key piece and that principle really draws from the work of Walter Starhill and the performance economy. Again, um, a brilliant um, thinker who's worth looking into. He's published a, a number of books around the performance economy. Um, and he really brings in the business model elements of, of how do we create these effective production and consumption models, both on a, a small and large scale. And then finally, regenerate natural systems, the third principle of the circular economy. So if we're going to regenerate the natural systems that underpin our economic um, activity, then um, how do we do that? And, you know, I'm sat here looking out, I'm lucky enough to have a view of, of oak trees and, um, you know, various different beautiful um, shrubs and, and so on. All of those organisms have, um, have developed over millennia because of the resilience um, that they operate in as, as, a, as an ecosystem how much research and development sits within these resilient systems that we can draw from when it comes to restoring and regenerating uh, the systems around us. And that is really draws from the work of, of biomimicry and Janine Benyus as well as others, of how do we take insights from living systems in order to make our economic activity um, not just sustainable, but re, re, you know, to move into that more aspirational point of view to regenerate, because to sustain is, in my opinion, limited. You know, if if I was to describe my marriage as sustainable, I don't think you would you would feel that I was in a particularly loving relationship. 
it's not aspirational. So why, why can't we inspire the necessary human ingenuity by pushing our aspiration beyond sustain and into that realm of regenerate and restore. Um, and so that, that's, you know, really that three, that third principle. Uh, and everything sort of moves around that in terms of the, the application of the circular economy when it comes to policy making, when it comes to business strategy, when it comes to how we enable people to think differently um, and learn in, in new ways. All of that um, work that is done at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation is done in, a, in, the, in the context of, of those three principles and as, using them as a heuristic um, to move around. Yeah, that's, I think those three are very cool. And I, I think you're absolutely right. You're, you're not the first person to mention about the term sustainability as not being quite accurate in terms of what we should be aiming for, or rather not using the word should, but rather must, um, you know, we, we, we can't just, if we're sustainable, then basically we just need to find a way to keep, uh, what we're doing now, uh, working for as long as we can, whereas regenerating and really moving forward, uh, would mean that we need to completely change our systems, um, because otherwise we're just going to stay where we are now. And, um, that just doesn't that just doesn't really work um and I, I agree with you i think it sounds like to me the circular economy and, and this is what i was thinking when we when you first mentioned kind of the difference between linear and circular is it really does imitate nature and, and you mentioned that with with that term biomimicry um i guess the the challenge is we have so many different types of technologies you know we're, we're taking this call on a on a computer um i have a microphone here there's a lot of things that are required that are, come from all over the world. So how, I mean, how do you keep all of the considerations of the fact that, you know, people aren't willing to give up um, the, all the, the technological advances that we've made and, and the, uh, the comforts that we're used to. Um, and ultimately sometimes, you know, you just go out and it's not practical to, or you forget your reusable water bottle. Um, how do we make sure that, you know, you're, it's still easy for people to live a, a good life without the environmental negatives that come along with, for instance, getting a takeaway or buying a plastic bottle of water, which in the case of a single use plastic is a big concern, I think. Mm. I mean, I think we need to really think very, very strategically about where we're placing our emphasis. There is so many behaviors that we can, as a species, I say we, you know, there are so many behaviors that we can focus on changing right now. Mm. The next hundred years of, of human activity will dictate whether we're able to, to move into the next thousand, two thousand years uh, of human um, civilization, or in fact, um, self-implode because of the, um, the, you know, bad choices that we are making. And so where do we place our emphasis? Um, I think is key. And where are we tying ourselves up in knots on seemingly um, areas that have low, low impact? And where can we actually move so that we are having exponential impact? And I think that is a really, really difficult question. And it's one that we are continuously asking um, ourselves uh, as a team at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, because 
um, anyone who's working in the area of of, of global change and and um, you know systemic impact is always looking for, for where are those um, acupuncture points that we can trigger. And so I would put the challenge on to your listeners to really consider what it is that they're putting emphasis on and are there choices, um, the choices that are going to make the difference? Because if we're going to tie ourselves up with choices that are really quite surface level and you know, minuscule in comparison to, to where the, 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 the um, negative impact is occurring, then you know, we, are, we are not going to be able to mobilize massive change. So I think it's really, um, you know, for those who are wanting to go into this field, critical to really consider. So, you know, what am I? Where are my skill sets? Where are my passions? And where are the challenges? And a sort of almost like a, a sort of culmination of those things, because those are very individual. Your strengths, skills passions, values, and your considerations of where the issues lie, Daniel, are distinctive from mine. And so we can all come at this from a different personal, individual point of view. And I think the personalization of this is critical. There's not a one-size-fits-all journey around this. My journey into this topic um, was a journey that took me uh, from the area of designing green spaces at the Royal Botanic Gardens queue, right into um, a completely different field. I worked at Kew Gardens for five years and I was designing displays for the public to enable um, them to understand uh, topics around sustain about conservation and biodiversity. Really great job. I loved it. It was an amazing institution to work within, but I realized that my my work was limited. The impact that I was having was really surface level in my, in my point of view. And I was becoming increasingly aware of global issues. Uh, and I just, I felt very uncomfortable. I, you know, in myself, I felt like I wasn't fulfilling my potential in contributing to the change that I felt was so critical. And so I stepped off a bit of a precipice. I quit my job. I um, applied for a master's in leadership for sustainable development, which was run by a fantastic organization based in London called Forum for the Future. And I um, managed to get onto the course, gratefully, which uh, was also just a bit of a crossroads for me because I quit my job before I'd even got on. And I did the year's master's, um, which I have to say was I think an exceptionally well structured learning experience um, in terms of how they set up that course because it co it combined a whole realm of different learning experiences uh, as as well as very immersive experiences into multiple sectors so that you understand policy so that you understand media so that you understand um, what it what it means in in in, in business. Um, and so to get that multi multifaceted point of view was, was really critical. Um, coming out of that course, and as I started to, to transition into thinking about my, my work, instead of feeling um, 
clear in terms of my trajectory, I, I actually felt a real sense of, um, I felt lost <laughs> in terms of how I could have an impact. The course had given me an overwhelming amount of information in terms of global issues. And I think for anyone now, if you're interested in, in what's going on uh, in the world, uh, environmentally, socially, or economically, you're, 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 you know, there's an aspect of being terrified at the prospects of these, of these systems, the systems around us. Um, and I was, and I was lost um, in terms of how can I have any um, impact on these huge, complex global issues. And I felt very paralyzed in terms of where to go next. Um, and that, you know, that was a few, uh, you know, I remember it was a cu couple of months period of feeling really, really lost and quite disenchanted um, with, with where I was at. And at that point, I had elected to do a local government placement here on the Isle of Wight, which is, is where I grew up. And I discovered the work of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. And for me, it was, it was a distinctive um, narrative that was coming out because it was a positive trajectory. Um, the, the language that was used, um, the framework itself was aspirational. It was about how do we get from here, which is not where we need to be, globally and societally to a place that is is better that is that is exciting and and I think that that distinction around um, you know creative um, energy is absolutely critical now right now we need human ingenuity to be ignited on a unprecedented scale and that journey that I went on um, in terms of that connection that was made for me. I think, um, you know, many people are all over the world are experiencing, and we can see this statistically as well. We can see this shift into what I would describe as purpose-driven career paths. Individuals are seeking careers which align with their personal values um, and also utilize their personal skill sets. And this third piece that I'm suggesting they bring in is, okay, so these are my skills. If these are my values, how can I have most impact? And to really sit with that question, because it's not an easy question to answer. Uh, and it depends what country you're in. It depends what, um, you know, what social economic position you're in within that community. It depends on you know, your connections. There are so many different aspects that are either opportunities or limitations for people all over the world. And all of those considerations need to be made as, as we work out our, our own individual trajectory into creating change in the world. Would you say there is a wrong answer to that potentially? Well, I mean, it's, I, I, I maybe wouldn't frame it like that, but I think, well, Actually, I will be stronger than, than that. I'll be, I would say yes. I would say that if people are going to miss the opportunity to look at that systemic element. So for me, the wrong, the wrong answer is looking at small scale 
what could be described as as um, low impact activities. You know, we absolutely have to be thinking really, really carefully about the um, the most kind of critical um, points of intervention. Uh, and in order to do that, in order to assess where are these points of intervention, where are these critical areas, um, systems thinking and the, the, the whole body of work that sits around it knows that you must understand the system and you must map the system. So one of the first things to do for an individual is to map. So what is the system? So I so, so for example, I am a city planner. I've just come out of my um, my degree in urban planning. Uh, I'm passionate about um, I'm passionate about communities, for example, and creating coherent communities uh, and enabling communities to thrive. So just as an example. Um, okay, so if I'm passionate about communities and enabling communities to thrive and be diverse and so on, and I'm a city planner, how can I have most impact in the world and how can that play a role in this, this trajectory of change that, that I feel is, is necessary? So, you know, where do I live? What, what are my options in terms of where I can, where I can move to? What are the, what are the different organizations that are, are working in this area? Who is having exponential impact in this space? Who are the leaders? Why are they the leaders? What are they doing that's making them so um, effective? And so asking all of these questions and beginning to understand that particular system and context um, is, is what all of us who are wanting to go into this field need to be doing, uh, asking ourselves really, really hard questions in order to get to a position where we're actually having the most impact that we can possibly have. Play a little bit of devil's advocate and, and maybe just a, or maybe it's just a clarification. I, there's, um, I'm just thinking of, you know, just an alternative, I suppose, um, way to look at it uh, from the point of view of the phrase, act locally, think globally. Is it possible to, to do something that has a lot of impact, which is still quite, Hyperlocal. I mean, I'm I'm thinking of, you know, maybe a someone who decides to be a, uh, a regenerative farmer, for instance. You know, they. I think it's. I mean, farming is crucial. We all have to eat, and I think agriculture has a huge role to play in our um, in our movement towards a more regenerative or sustainable, um, uh, you know, lifestyle. Um, it it seems like, and I'm not picking on farmers. It's just the first first one that comes to mind. I, I there, I'm sure there's other um, examples yeah. as well. It's just um, you know, if if I'm a farmer, my in my view at least, I'm kind of just focusing on my plot of land, and I want to be regenerative, so I'm not using any pesticides, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm, I may, yeah. that, um, Daniel. There's um, you know, if I can give a couple of different, so larger scale yeah. example, Leontido Balbo, based um, near Sao Paulo in Brazil, um, you know, had his own um, sugar cane production um, farm, and he spent seven years trialing and testing new production methods that were not just organic, but were regenerative and restorative. He built in um, biodiversity corridors across his farm. He um, changed the um, machinery that he was using so that it wasn't compacting the soil so that the mycelium 
under the soil is what he describes as the internet of the soil, these communication structures of, of fungi which enable plants to identify where the nutrients are and, um, and create a whole um, necessary connectivity at that substrate level. So um, he was a complete systems thinker and he spent seven years taking the organization into debt in order to trial and test these concepts and it was only actually because he was it was a um, family-run business that he was able to do this it's share you know CEOs very often aren't able to make these sorts of um, operational um, diversions um, because they're legally obliged to provide shareholder value which is another sticking point in this whole aspect but he was able to to prove this over a seven-year period and is now much higher yields, 40% higher yields than he was at previously. Um, and he has a completely organic, you know, all um, biocontrol based um, uh, food production, but it's at scale. He provides over 30% of the organic sugar globally. So he wow. has been able to take his organization um, to change the operations of that farm and scale it. Having said that, it's not all about going big. If you are a small farmer and you want to stay small, there is ways in which you can scale your impact through, for example, you can connect with other small-scale farmers and collectively create systems of, um, you know, that sort of industrial ecology element of how can we share share different um uh, byproducts in order to create that regenerative, regenerative, restorative. And there's many examples of that within the farming community that one person's waste is another person's food. And it's just about creating the, the, the cost effective logistics to move stuff around. Um, and that's an example of where policy plays a key role, why the Ellen MacArthur Foundation has a fundamental role in policy and, and the work of governments and cities to enable that sort of um, transportation of, of materials um, uh, so that it, it is cost effective. So small scale farmers can still get into that scaling point um, through things like the you know creating ecosystems of, of material cycles or for example they can promote their story and inspire many others and I think that's another thing that's what I was going to say um that we that we you know your podcast is an example um uh, and there's you know there's many different amplifiers of these stories to inspire and enable yeah I think um that exactly um the point of view of just uh you know I'm thinking I've I've had a couple of farmers uh speak on the podcast um and a big part of what they do, because many of them are in the in the Midwest of the U.S., where traditionally, you know, everyone there is uh, doing just the very standard, as they call it, conventional farming. So you have your big tractors, all your yeah. sprays, et cetera, et cetera. And you have these farmers who just like say, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in that. I'm not going to play that game. And in the middle of the um, of this farm land, which is you know, hundreds, if not thousands of miles wide, it's just this little regenerative farm right in the middle of it. And their yields, like you say, go up dramatically. And they're just showing, you know, we can do this differently. And oftentimes it's actually less expensive. We don't rely on anyone else for subsidies, whether it's governments or companies, because we're self-sustaining um, and we're regenerative. 
And, um, and then other people see it and they say, well, how did you do that? And that is the, um, that is the power of um, going back to, you know, answering my own question of being one person making a, a little difference locally. That is the power because even if it may not be local to them, there are people who, there's a farmer in, in um, Virginia, his name is Joel Salatin, and he opens his farm. Um, I would love to have him on the show um, because he, he's been doing this for a very long time and he opens his farm uh, up all the time and people just visit and he shows them around. And, and that's a big component of what he does is just educating and people fly from all over the country and probably the world to see how he does it. Um, and I think that comes back to, to exactly what you're doing, which is education. Um, there's a really interesting question about, um, that I think we talked about previously, um, before we were were recording about this idea of creating massive change. Um, and it's, it's probably a really big question. I think you've touched on it, um, here and there, but I'd like to just ask the question very point blank in terms of how do we create massive change? You said when you took this forum for the future, class, you know, there's, um, or course rather, there's uh, this element of fear and you realize we really need to act. Uh, and simultaneously, we have to, um, I think we have to be optimistic and, and positive about it or else it becomes very difficult to actually to make those choices and to act. So how, with so many challenges that we're facing, how can we create massive change around the world? And it sounds like we need to do it quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think it depends on who you are um, for, for, to start with. So, um, you know, we all play a different role in that, uh, organisations and individuals. And and I think from an, from a um, one of the the key pieces around this is how do we how do we mobilise individuals and organisations because. Right this is what what we need to be doing more is there's a sort of almost threshold that's been reached in terms of the 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 low-hanging fruit of people who are who are kind of attuned to global issues and are on board with trying to create change so how do we enable all of those people who are not attuned um, to this agenda and I think we need to give them the ability to make the decisions that they need to make uh, in order to shift systems. So, for example, I think that it's critical that we give business leaders the economic rationale for um, making uh, a change. I think responsibility and moral um, compass is really not giving um, business leaders the the tools that they require to shift business operations. As I mentioned earlier, you know, from a CEO point of view, there is a legal obligation to provide shareholder value. And then all right down through the incentives chain of management, um, everything is, is you know, unless you're a social enterprise or a B Corp, um, you, you know, you are very often highly profit orientated on short term um, incentive cycles. And so that whole system is locked into that existing mode of operation. So we have to be able to articulate what is the alternative and how is this um, economically viable for your business. And that is a huge amount of the work that the Ellen MacArthur Foundation has done with with other organizations uh, such as McKinsey um, to provide that analysis and to spell that out. And things like the Circular Economy 100, which is a business 
a led community which looks at creating small and large business um, connections so that organizations can cluster around specific sectors and 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 create change so there's that piece of economic rationale which i think is really key i also feel like the term sustainability is so broad and as i mentioned earlier in in an, in terms of its actual makeup as a word is pretty uninspirational uh, to sustain um, so how can we use words and language that actually triggers people's intrinsic motivation so their their own personal drive um, and i feel like that is that is done by using words that are aspirational that are um, that are, you know, positive trajectories for people to strive towards uh, rather than shame-based messaging, um, which I think a lot of the sustainability agenda has been very um, guilty of. You know, that guilt-based message is, is, is what I was experiencing when I got through a whole realm of, of that course was that there is so much guilt yeah. and that shame that sits around that emotionally for, for, for me, I felt the impact of that. Um, and I know, I know how much other people are feeling the impact of that. And, and a lot of those people just shut it out and they're just like, look, you know, I'm just going to crack on and just <laughs> not look at that because, um, because it's hard to look at it because it is complex and it is scary so I think we need to be really, really careful about how we bring people into this um, this agenda and use words and use messaging and use stories that inspire. Um, so yeah. And with you know people listening to this and and you know just I'm an individual. Um, I don't work for the government. I you know I, I and I am asking myself, and I have been for a long time. You know how what what's what are the biggest as you call them acupuncture points? I see. I kind of like to think of them as levers, or or pulleys, or like um you know the Pareto principle eighty twenty rule. You know what's the what's the most effective space that I as an individual can focus on mm. to make the biggest impact. So, um, you know, it's an important question to ask. Are there any kind of tips or or tricks or hacks or i don't know what other words we can use i suppose I'm, I'm, the question is how you know how how can we more effectively think about this um you're absolutely right sustainability is a broad term which on one hand is really exciting it means that there's so many opportunities on the other hand there is the classic analysis paralysis there are so many opportunities it's the paradox of choice you don't even know which one to go for you know there's a uh, 5000 million flavors um, 5,000 million isn't even a number and it still feels like there's just so many. So, you know, how can, maybe how can we think about, um, what we as individuals can do, um, to actually make a difference? What are, what are some of those, uh, areas that you, that you can start with kind of like right now? Uh, well, from a psychology point of view, we know that intrinsic motivation is critical because ultimately we need people to be very motivated because this is a very hard topic and it's a very hard area of work. It's 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 changing on a on a daily basis and the, the problems themselves are ext extremely sticky. Mm. Um, so we need to have a huge amount of, of motivation to learn about it, to apply it, to get through all of those barriers. 
So I think intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic. So asking yourself, why am I doing this? What is my driver around this? And really, really digging into that on a personal point of view and whether that's sitting down in a quiet space and, and, and going through that as a personal practice to really dig into what are my, what are my core motivations around this? Um, because I think we need to, from a psychological perspective, really get into that deep sense of, um, of motivation and desire in order to then be able to move into that space of, I am highly motivated um, and I am highly driven um, in order to, to go into this trajectory. And with that motivation will come a clarity of trajectory. Um, so I think that that would be my advice for people is to actually take the time to dig into it to, in order to trigger your own personal intrinsic motivation uh, around the topic. Um, I, think, I think that's key. I also think, um, you know, be careful what you read and where your sources are. So if you're going into a space that is actually, um, you know, making you feel crap, you know, making you feel shameful, making you feel guilty. If you're reading a specific uh, feed or if you're, um, you know, interacting with a specific um, individual who's actually the messaging is not inspiring you, then just stop it. You know, just find those sources that are inspirational and that really chime in for you. Um, and inspire you. So I think, you know, where we're getting our information from and what information we allow into ourselves, um, then that is also a really important point. So, you know, uh, on the Ellen MacArthur Foundation website, there is, um, you know, there's a whole realm of different um, resources that are available for individuals who are at this point of, of trying to, I want to join a community. Well, there's the design community or there's the teaching and learning community, or there's the, the general, what is the circular economy community? Oh, I want to learn about this topic. So there is, you know, they, they, we can break the topic down into what this means for food. What does it mean for plastics? What does it mean for fashion? So find your, your entry point into this, uh, you know, and, and find your tribe, find, you know, people around you who are interested in, in that particular area, whether it's circular economy or, or, or another aspect, um, of, of the, you know, broader, a uh, broader change agenda. So I think, you know, you know, your sources are key, your motivation is key. Um, and yeah, and find some people who inspire you. Um, you know, find some some in individuals who really um, help help you to see where you want to be going. Yeah, I think the it sounds to me that the kind of the, the message here is to, you know, there are a lot of issues. They are many of them are very urgent. I think it doesn't mean that you have to rush into it and just start flailing around as quickly as possible. Um, cause that's not necessarily effective either speed, uh, <laughs> yeah, speed without clarity of direction, uh, doesn't actually get you anywhere in particular. Um, yeah. so it, it, to me, I, I think the main message that I'm getting from, from what you're saying is, um, you know, it's okay to take a few months or even maybe a year to really think about it and, and research, take your time, find something that inspires you. And, um, and understand 
you, you called it intrinsic motivation. Um, you know, the way I like to think about it is the, my why, you know, why am I doing this? Um, if I do this, what will my life look like? And, uh, how awesome will my life be? If I do this, how awesome, how terrible will my life be if I choose not to do this, you know, um, and, and really create that fire inside in order to, um, to, to move forward so that kind of no matter what comes your way, you're always willing to, 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 um, push past those barriers yeah. because um, challenges always come up. And if you know exactly why you're doing it, if you have that intrinsic motivation, you realize, you know what, this is worth fighting for because, and you have yeah. your list, uh, it makes it much easier. Uh, and that work, it's an, in, it's internal work. It takes time. And sometimes if you're not used to it, it can be a little scary. And um, yeah, I think it requires maybe a notebook or a long walk or, um, recording yourself talking, uh, as you mentioned, yeah. um, previously when we spoke Jules, um, yeah, this, this got very deep, but I think, it, I think it's very important. You have to know kind of who you are and, and why you want to do this. Um, I also, I don't think it needs to be that scary. Um, sometimes it's just like, you know, for me, I love planting trees. I don't know why I just absolutely love it. And I think it's so important. And to me, that's, um, that's where I would love to contribute the most. Um, yeah. I would love to plant billions of trees around the world. <laughs> so I'll just focus on that. And I think there's going to be other people who realize trees are important for them. Their motivation is getting plastic out of the ocean. And that's fantastic because I'd rather focus on planting trees. I know plastic is important to get it out of the ocean, but mm. there's other people who will do it better. Um, yeah, well, we, can't, we can't do it all. I think it's that, you know, a good point you're making there. And um that's when we get overwhelmed actually is when we try and take it all on. Uh, that's where I got at the end of the course is I felt overwhelmed by all the different, um, options. So I think that piece of actually really trying to hone in on a specific area is critical. Um, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really, really good point. And I'm just conscious of time here. One, one question I love to ask, um, is, uh, who do you admire, uh, in the field of sustainability? Well, I mean, I've been lucky enough to work uh, with some incredibly capable individuals. Um, I think the person who really stands out and who I, has been an absolute honour to work with from the outset um, is, is Ellen MacArthur. Uh, she um, was an ocean racer. She um, broke the round the world single um, solo racing um, record and she did that because of the very unique um, strength of motivation that she operates on on a daily basis. So this, you know, this whole conversation actually winds back in really nicely to how Ellen functions. Um, she is somebody who sets herself very clear goals she takes time to understand what those goals are, but she sets very clear goals. And then she absolutely methodically works towards achieving them. And right from founding the, the foundation in September, 2010, you know, very close to the last economic downturn, very difficult time to set up a charity um, right through till to now. Um, you know, I've been working there for nine years now. Um, there's, you know, over 150 staff members from when I joined when there was about eight of us. Hmm. You know, so we have grown um, as an organization. And I think Ellen's leadership of she believes the incredible is possible. 
she truly does. She's um, somebody who, uh, you know, one of the quotes from uh, her, her book, Full, Full Circle, um, is goals are dreams with deadlines. And I think that summarizes really nicely for her is, you know, she's, she, she is a dreamer. She dreams big. The incredible is possible. Um, but then she gets these big dreams and she brings them absolutely into reality. Uh, and she applies herself with complete dedication to that. And it's, it's very inspiring being around her um, on a personal level, but also on a professional level. Uh, so she's somebody who I've um, been very privileged to to get to work with. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think, um, yeah, it's reading her story is really uh, both inspiring. And um, I would say, I think it's, there's a lot of practical elements, as you mentioned, that you can take from, from mm-hmm. there. Um, so if, if people want to work, learn more about either the work that you do, or you're currently at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, so if they want to learn about um, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, where's the best place for people to, to find you and, and really to learn more? Yeah, I mean, today we've been having this conversation with me, me as an individual, as somebody who's in the, you know, the broad field of sustainability. Uh, I'm currently actually on maternity leave, so I'm not actually actively at work at the moment. Um, but I, you know, I can say anyone listening to this this uh, podcast can, if you're wanting to learn more about the topic or the foundation's work, ellamacarthurfoundation.org, uh, and the website is um, it's pretty um, user friendly in terms of diving into the different elements that um, that your listeners might be interested in, whether it's learning more about the, the, the topic or whether it's about uh, our business communities, our work with governments and cities, um, and so on. So, um, yeah, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd signpost people towards towards that work. I also mentioned Forum for the Future. It's really a great organisation that I um, was very glad to um, interact with over that year's Masters. They do exceptional work in systems-level change. Um, and yeah, those would be two, two touch points. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jules. It was really great speaking with you and love the, um, love the work you're doing and love the way you're thinking about the work that you're doing as well. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, give us a five-star rating and also please subscribe, whether on your podcast app or on YouTube. And that way you can be the first to know about new episodes. Thank you very much and talk to you soon.